This message was presented at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Father in heaven, would it be that this morning you have a word for us? Let it be a gentle tap to our shoulder or an arrow to our heart. But let us leave here changed from the inside out because of exposure to your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. I have a little tradition, a little experience on Sabbath mornings for me. I go to the pantry and get to choose my cereal. There are three Sabbath cereals. (laughs) I am not trying to sanctify these particular cereals, but there are three that I choose from on Sabbath morning. The other cereals have their chance Sunday through Friday, but on Sabbath morning, I choose from cornflakes, oat squares, or puffins. Those are my three options, choices. And any one of the three, in my opinion, work for a Sabbath morning breakfast. Grab your Bibles. Go to the first chapter of Acts. Our theme is birthed out of this narrative. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4 just read to us moments ago. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he, Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Did you hear the language Dr. Luke employs? He commanded them. This is the same master that used his command to remove the demons from the demoniacs and throw them into the pigs. This command, non-negotiable, cogent, unequivocal. It must be done. There is no option. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He, you've heard from me, He says, You've heard it from me. For John truly baptized with water, verse 5, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so comes this command. Not an option, but a command from Jesus. You've got to stay here and wait for the promise of the Father. Everything is is going to be a result of this. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He sent Jesus. And then Jesus is now saying, Look, everything I've done is now going to be poured out through this gift, so don't move without it. It's not like my Sabbath morning practice of going to the pantry and choosing. There are things, there are options that we can choose. But when it comes to this, This was a command from Jesus. 
You must wait and pray and work with the Holy Spirit. You can't do it without it. This was not an option of different serials. You do it your way, I'll do it my way. This was the way. Amen. So let's journey through the narrative. Verse 12. We're in Acts chapter 1. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. So they're coming off the, the higher plain there of Mount Olivet, about a Sabbath day's journey. It's led some to wonder, could it have been that Jesus ascended on a Sabbath? And when they entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. And then it begins to list off their names as they've come together. Verse 14, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with His brothers. They knew that this was not optional. This was a command of Jesus. It was the only way in which it could be effective. That is the life of Jesus. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was now all centered in this gift. It was to be mobilized through its power. So they came together in one accord. Luke likes to use that that expression. It's only used one other time. Paul uses it in Romans chapter 15. But Luke uses it ten times, this one accord. And it's a difficult word to, to, to express. It's, 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 it's a combination of two words. Homo. We're, we're, we're familiar with that word. Thidamin. We're not so familiar with, with how to, to combine those two but it's, it's some likeness. They came together in some agreement. We know it wasn't absolute agreement about everything because the next thing they do in the narrative is they, is they elect a replacement for Judas. And in that replacement, they have options that apparently they disagree on. Some thought, well, Matthias. Some thought, no, 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 no. We've got we've to look for someone else. So between Joseph, Justice, and Matthias, they, they have to make this. We know that they think this through. So they're not in just total agreement about everything. But they are, there is this sense of mission, missional agreement that, that draws them together. Jump down to verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples Altogether, this is a parenthetical statement in our Bibles, altogether the names were as about 120. Interesting note, according to Jewish law, in order to start a new community, you had to have 120 people together. So Dr. Luke says, hey, parenthetically, I just, want to, I just want to let you know that they met the requirement to start a new movement. 120. Jewish law. Peter stood up. And now begins this conversation of an election, church in business. Jumping down to verse 24. They prayed about it. They said, Lord, 
you know the hearts of all. Which, which implies that we don't. And let me just add as an aside here that we ought to be very, beloved, very careful on how we interpret and decide what someone else's motive or heart is. Church, be very careful in interpreting the hearts of someone else. The implied, though, is we don't know their hearts. You alone, O God, know the hearts of men. And so we've got to leave this choice in your hands, but we will use the practical methods we know to follow your lead. And so they cast lots. That would get you cast out of the church today. They cast lots. We would just do it by majority vote. But that birthed in prayer and couched in prayer, they understood, would lead them to understand God's guiding. But they didn't all agree. Otherwise, Joseph Justice wouldn't have been on the docket. He was the one not elected. And some theologians say, hey, look at where Paul shows up just a short while later. Paul shows up. It's almost as if God had him in the wings that he was. But Dr. Luke doesn't mind any of this. He's not, he's not, he's not distracted by the fact that the church had to do business. That they came together and made some elections and made some decisions. That was okay. But what they could not disagree on was coming together in a missional movement of prayer for the Holy Spirit. That was commanded. But the church, as it came together and did business, and then as it came together and prayed for the Holy Spirit, as those two things came together in a community, John Stott says the stage was then set for the Holy Spirit. Church, beloved, these two elements, the church coming together to do business, making decisions, it can be, it can be distracting. But Dr. Luke, no, that's fine. The church can do its business. It's necessary. But it must have this component of prayer, praying for the Holy Spirit. The stage was then set for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Oh, oh, could we set the stage again? Could we set the stage again? I want to take you to pulling back the curtain and looking at what was happening in heaven during this time. I wish we had more, but we do have just a glimpse. We're back in, we're still here in Acts chapter 1. Now very, the very first verse. I'm sorry, we're in Acts chapter 2. I said the very first verse of Acts chapter 1 is also good. But Acts chapter 2, verse 1, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, 
they were all with one accord. There's Luke using the word again, in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. These 120 coming together, doing business and praying together. Heaven opened its doors and poured out on them the Holy Spirit. Verse 33, Luke cha- Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Peter is, is given a sermon, preaching, and he gives us a glimpse. He says, this Jesus was raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Verse 32. Verse 33. Therefore, he, being highly exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he then poured out this, which you now see and hear. Luke Luke says, look, Jesus was resurrected. He went back to heaven and then he was exalted to the right hand of, of the throne of God. That is an interesting thought. We'll get there in a minute. He's, the Father then gives permission for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. Jesus takes that permission and He pours it out without a, a, a hesitation. He can't wait until His church is mobilized. His community. Because everything He had done, His life, His death, His resurrection, was now going to be funneled through the Holy Spirit and ultimately through us. John. John the Revelator. Now, you want to leave your little, you got these little ribbons in your Bible. You want to leave that little ribbon in Acts chapter 1. But go to the book of Revelation. The final picture. Revelation chapter 12. We read this verse just last night, or this, this passage. Acts chapter, Revelation chapter 12. Stick with me. Starting in verse 1. What was heaven doing during this moment we'll back up John starts now a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet on her head a garland of twelve stars beloved we could spend a lot of time in Revelation chapter 12 so I I invite you just to to move quickly with me. From our study of Revelation chapter 12 and this sign, this, this symbolic picture of a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, on her head a garland of 12 stars, we understand that to be the church. We, we call it the church. That can be confusing to some because the church isn't until, at least the, the terminology that we use isn't until the New Testament, but we could say the community of God. All right. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Here is the faithful community of God. 
As she becomes pregnant with a child, she cries out in labor and in pain to give birth. That child is Jesus. So John is watching this symbolic movement. Here is this woman representing the, the, the community, the faithful church of God. And a child will be delivered. Jesus. Then come, then he introduces us to these other players. Verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Who's this? We don't have to guess, beloved. Who's this? This is Satan. Satan shows up. And there's this bit of of sequential order as, as John is introducing these players. Here's the woman. Now she's pregnant and she's in labor to give birth. On the scene shows up this fiery red dragon. His tail, by the way, John says, drew a third of the stars of the heavens and threw them to the earth. What's that about? That's the beginning, the visible beginning of the great controversy. When Satan was separated from heaven, said, You've got, you can't be here any longer. A third of the angels. So we think there's something to this. And so they pack up and head out with Satan. That's way back, way back, pre-Adam and Eve. But now that dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And so now we're, we've moved forward. This is, this is an overview of the great controversy. And that dragon has now moved forward. He's standing before the woman, almost indifferent to the woman at this point. He knows that who he needs to be targeting is that child. Oh, he doesn't like the woman, the faithful woman. But he's almost indifferent to her in, in this moment as he stands before her. He wants to devour the child. He knows if he can get to Jesus, he can get it all. Verse 5, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations. And now we know why he wanted to get at him. He was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child, ooh, was caught up to God and his throne. He becomes the problem for the dragon. The dragon knows if I'm going to rule all nations, I've got to get to him. But he misses his chance. Jesus does his work and then ascends. He's caught up to the throne of God. Peter, in his sermon, explains that he's caught up to the right hand of the throne of God. He missed his chance. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So the woman then had to 
go into hiding, as it were. A wilderness time, 538 A.D. to 1798. Those years where the church almost becomes invisible. The faithful church. J. A. Wiley describes this as the period, it's the midnight of the world. It wasn't a, a dynamic, faithful, visible representation of God. But you see the sequential order. Beloved, this is important now because there's a sequential order where he moves one player at a time. Here's the faithful woman. She's pregnant. Introduces the dragon. He's going to stand before the woman. He's going to try to devour the man-child. The man-child is taken. All right. Now he moves the woman forward into the wilderness. He moves her forward, and then he steps back and catches us up on the child and the dragon. Verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. Let me ask you a question, beloved, and be slow to answer. When is verse 7? When is verse 7? Here we have this, this sequential order of the players moving forward and then the man-child is taken up to the throne of God. The woman then is moved into the wilderness. And then there's war in heaven. When does verse 7 happen? And within my community of faith, we've often just written it off as something that John is referring to in the distant past. He's been moving forward the entire time and then we just rip it out and say, no, no, that was, that was thousands of years ago. There's been war in heaven ever since the dragon took that third of the angels. But there was some sort of pause, almost pause. I don't want to, there was always war. There, was, there seems to be some sort of pause. The book of Job lets us know that, that Satan stood before God claiming representation of this planet. The Gospel of John, Jesus himself says, Satan has been standing before God accusing you. So we know that Satan had been allowed or permitted in some sense to stand before the throne of God. But now, but now, that man-child has died and been resurrected and is now ascended. And Peter says he is going to take the place next to the throne of God representing this earth. And Satan now has for thousands of years since his removal been standing before God saying, I, I have been going to and fro on the earth. I represent the earth. Jesus arrives and says, I beg to differ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And now we have two standing before the throne that say they both represent us. There was war. There was war in heaven when Jesus returned as our now representative. He said, I've been chosen. I have given my blood. I have the right to represent that planet. 
there was war. Satan wasn't about to give up his position. But he did not prevail, verse 8. Nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. John is saying there had been a place permitted for them for a time. But no longer was there a place found for them in heaven. They had to go, and they had to go permanently. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Heaven never had a question about who Satan was. But he was finally removed before the universe. The serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then, verse 10, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before, God, before our God day and night. Satan's been in heaven a lot in those first 4,000 years. He'd been accusing us before God day and night. You want to talk about a patient God. He'd been accusing. But the power of Christ has come and the accuser of our brethren who has accused them before God day and night has been cast down. Verse 11, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to death. Verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Heaven is now forever ridden of Satan. He's done. He can no longer return. Spirit of prophecy clues us in. It says the, the unfallens will not even talk to him anymore. They, they won't even talk. Rejoice, O heavens. We are done with that. Oh. Oh. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has a short time. Did you catch that, beloved? The heavens can rejoice now because they're done with him in that place. But now he has moved from his indifference to the woman to now turning his undivided attention. The man-child has beat him. He has now been, been... been removed. He can't accuse us before God day and night, so he has only one thing left to do, and that is to plague us. Woe to you inhabitants of the earth. The devil has come down, being cast out of heaven, knowing he has a short time. So step back. Meanwhile, on planet earth the 120 have gathered together to do church business and then to pray for the Holy Spirit and so they're praying they're seeking God's direction they're asking, they're pleading for the Holy Spirit that's all that they can see but if you were to pull back the curtain to the supernatural 
Jesus is now on the right hand of the throne of God. Satan is standing there saying, no, 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 no. I've been here for thousands of years. I, I. And Jesus just stretches out his hands, revealing the scars of his sacrifice. And there's war in heaven. Satan is thrown out. He's removed. No longer does he have a place before the throne of God accusing us. And the moment that that happens, the moment he's removed from heaven permanently, God says we now have the legal right of pouring our spirit out on that planet. Before, Satan could accuse, no, 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 you can't pour your spirit out. You can't do it. I, I am their representative, and they don't want it. But now, Jesus stands before the throne and says, Father, they want it. And like a man and a woman who are deeply in love when they see each other after, after a, a, a pause or after a brief time apart, there is no delay in their reunion. They don't look across the room and say, I'll catch you after the service. <laughs> they come together immediately. And so it is that Jesus is saying, we've got to pour it out. They're ready. GYC, let's do it again. Beloved, let's do it again. Could it be that that little group of faithful prayer warriors in Acts gave Jesus the proof as he stood before the throne that they indeed were ready for the Holy Spirit? Could it be that when a group, a community come together doing church business, but praying, pleading for the Holy Spirit, could it be that that always gives Jesus proof that we're ready for the Holy Spirit? Could it be in our final moments of earth's history that heaven is again in need of a community praying. Let's do it again, GYC. Let's do it again, church. Let's do it again. One of my favorite prayer authors, Ian Bounds, lays it out very clearly. Praying is a spiritual work. Human nature does not like taxing spiritual work. Human nature wants to sail to heaven under a pleasant breeze and a full, smooth sea. Prayer is a humbling work. It abases our intellect and pride, crucifies vainglory, and signals our spiritual bankruptcy. All of these are hard for the flesh and blood to bear. The past has not exhausted the possibilities nor the demands for doing great things for God. Let's do it again. My favorite, favorite lines... Someone handed them to me on a slip of paper. I still have them in the back of my Bible. It's a letter Ellen White wrote while she was in Australia, 1899. She addresses it to Sister Henry. 
Listen to these words. When the third angel's message shall go forth with a loud voice and the whole earth shall be lightened with his glory, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon God's people. Heaven's going to do it again. The revenue of glory has been accumulating for this closing work of the third angel's message. Of the prayers that have been ascending for the fulfillment of the promise, the descent of the Holy Spirit, not one has been lost. Each prayer has, has it been a drop in the vase, filling it up. Each prayer has been accumulating, ready to overflow and pour forth a healing flood of heavenly influence and accumulated light for the world. Let's do it again. I live in a little town called Johnstown outside of a larger community, Loveland and Fort Collins in Colorado. Our little town built a new sports store, sporting goods store, called Shields. Shields puts a Ferris wheel in the middle of their store. It's huge. We're a little old town, but we're next to this larger community, and they build this huge sporting goods store. And in this sporting goods store is this huge Ferris wheel. For a fundraising event and publicity, Shields and the, town, and the mayor of our little town, Johnstown, got together, and, and the mayor said, I'll ride that Ferris wheel for 50 hours straight as a fundraiser. 50 hours on a... Have you been on a Ferris wheel? 50 hours. I'm good with five minutes. Five minutes. Done. 50 hours. So last year, the mayor of Johnstown got on that Ferris wheel and rode it for the next 50 hours. In case you're wondering, he started on Thursday, rode it all Thursday night, all day Friday, all day Friday night, all day Sabbath into Sabbath night. Raised $22,000 for feeding the hungry. 22000 for 50 hours. Seems a little low for me, but... His name is Scott James. I'm reading this story. Whoa! 50 hours on the Ferris wheel. But here's, beloved, what I'd like to bring to you. If a little town mayor is willing to ride a Ferris wheel for 50 hours in order to raise $22,000, what is the church of Christ willing to do for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? You want to talk about persistence? Talk to the mayor of Johnstown. 50 hours, he's stuck with it. Ellen White is saying, look, every prayer is added to the cup and it will fill up and it will one day be poured out. But keep praying the prayers. Jesus is beside the throne representing us. He is crowned king. He represents us now. He knows we want it. But let's demonstrate it to the unfallen universe. We are ready for the Holy Spirit from our crowned representative. It's a bit of a cheesy, cheesy line. But it speaks to me. A young boy went to bed one night 
The grandfather clock he would listen to in the hallway would chime its hours as the time passed. This little boy is in his bed, though, and he is sleepless. He just can't fall asleep. He listens to the clock hit 10 and then 11 and then midnight, and he just can't go to sleep. He hears the clock chime again, what now should be one o'clock, but the clock malfunctions and it begins to chime. One, two, three, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. With horror, he jumps from his bed and runs down the hallway, launching himself onto his parents' bed, crying, Wake up! Wake up! It's later than ever before. It's 13 o'clock. Beloved, it's 13 o'clock. So Jesus himself gives us the invitation. Luke chapter 11. Just listen to these words. Let them, let them cover you. I say to you, says Jesus. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's the invitation of Jesus, thrice repeated so we wouldn't miss the point. Ask, seek, knock. The Father wants to give the Holy Spirit. A little book in your registration packet called Steps to Personal Revival. If you read page 11, it will read, this special invitation shows us that according to Jesus, something essential, something essential, it cannot be done without, is missing. When we don't persistently ask for the Holy Spirit, he draws it to our attention that we absolutely need the Holy Spirit. Who gives it to us? Peter tells us. Our now representative, our crowned prince, will take that promise and pour it out on us. And so, beloved, to the very end, God is calling a people that will ask, seek, and knock. They will stay in Jerusalem to do business, of course, but then they will pray and plead with all of their hearts. I saw a picture of the prayer room this morning while we prepared in the back. Hallelujah. It's happening. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Could it be that Jesus, the crowned prince, needs a church that will press together one more time for a final throwdown of Satan? He's been cast out of the heavens, but woe to the earth. Let's do it again. One more time. Let's remove him from this planet now. So before the unfallen and the fallen witnesses in this place, I would invite you to make a decision that your crowned representative is Jesus. That you will stand for him, Jesus, your mind. And then a commitment that you will press together in prayer. Beloved, start a prayer group in your church. Go at 8 a.m. and pray till 9 Invite the pastor, the elders, invite everyone. 
We must do it again. It will happen the same way. A group of people praying, Jesus, our crown prince, will come down and remove Satan again. Let's do it again, GYC. I would invite you. Could it be that today we would stand? We would stand as a physical representation to the fallen and unfallen that we accept Jesus as our crown prince. He represents us and we will press together in prayer until the Holy Spirit can be poured out. Could it be that standing here, we make that statement? Hallelujah. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.